shaping a culture of high performance on the job? What's it take to build and sustain it over years? This is a podcast from Integrity Solutions. I'm Michael Terrell. It's called The Science of Total Motivation, and it's helping leaders accelerate the drive to achieve for stronger sales, better customer service, and more passionate employees. Hi, I'm Lindsay McGregor. I'm the author of Prime to Perform and co-founder of Vega Factor, which helps organizations build high-performing cultures. Lindsay McGregor's book, Prime to Perform, co-authored with Neil Doshi, is based on their research into how motivation drives high performance. They've created a framework and tool for assessing and building motivation. It's called the Total Motivation Factor, or TOMO for short. The book is a top seller, and we're featuring a conversation with Lindsay McGregor to learn her ideas about how companies like Apple, Starbucks, Southwest Airlines, and lots of others build strong cultures that drive performance. This is an edited version of an interview I did recently with Lindsay McGregor. First, let's hear what motivated this book on motivation. We wanted to understand, is culture something that you could measure? And so we began this research to really understand, can you measure culture? Can you prove that it's worth the investment? We tested dozens of different theories from psychology to chaos theory from all over the place to understand if we could measure culture. And there were lots and lots and lots of dead ends until we found one theory that was um, that was almost so obvious we practically kicked ourselves, which it comes down to this fact that why you work determines how well you work. So your reason for coming into work every day is going to change how you behave once you're there. So for example, if you came into work because you didn't want to get yelled at for taking a day off, you'd probably come in and do the bare minimum and just check the boxes. But if you came into work because you were really excited to solve a problem or help a customer, you're going to act very differently. And it turns out that there's a spectrum of reasons why people do anything that we can measure and use to create a high-performing culture. And it ranges from when you're doing something because you actually love the activity to you're doing it for reasons completely disconnected from that activity. Lindsay, thanks for that context. Tell us about TOMO, the framework and tool that you and Neil have at the center of the book. There's six points on this spectrum that actually explain why we do anything. So the first is play, and this is when you're working simply because you enjoy the work itself. So if you imagine a teacher at play, that's somebody who might love coming up with lesson plans or love thinking of a new way to explain a concept to a student. It's fun. It makes them curious. They feel like they're in the zone or in flow whenever they're working on that problem. That's when somebody's working because of play. If you think about somebody who's working not because they enjoy the work, but because they care about its impact, that's somebody who's working because of the purpose motive. So for example, our teacher may or may not feel play, but deeply believes in having educated citizens That would be the purpose motive. And finally, if you're working for what's called potential, you're working for an indirect outcome of that motive, an indirect outcome of the work. So for example, a teacher might be working because she thinks the job is going to enhance her own potential. She could become a principal or a school administrator one day, and this job is a great stepping stone. Play, purpose, and potential are all the direct motives because they're in some way directly related to the work itself. 
and we can actually prove that they all increase performance. But there's three more motives on the spectrum that actually start to destroy performance, and those are the indirect motives. The first is emotional pressure. So I don't know if you've ever tried to guilt a loved one into doing something, but emotional pressure is when you're trying to drive somebody through guilt or shame. Then there's economic pressure, which is when you're doing something because you, um, because you want to gain a reward or avoid a punishment. And finally, there's inertia. And this is when you're showing up to work today because you showed up yesterday. You actually have no idea why you're doing what you're doing. And these motives, you can actually ask somebody why they're doing any activity and understand how much they're doing it for play, for purpose, or for potential, the good ones, or because of emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia, the bad ones. And because they work so predictably, you can actually boil that down into one concept called total motivation or TOMO for short. And in TOMO, if you have high TOMO, you've got lots of the good motives, lots of play, purpose, and potential, and very few of the bad motives, emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. You can actually measure somebody's TOMO, and it will predict the performance of an individual. And also, if you measure the TOMO of an organization, it will predict the performance of the entire company. So how does TOMO help us understand how to build and shape a workplace culture? You know, once we had figured out that TOMO predicted things like um, customer experience and sales in organizations, so once we knew it was causing, it was directly affecting performance, we then wanted to see what actually drives TOMO in an organization. And we used to think that what motivated you would be, you know, whether your leader was nice or a jerk or the values up on your wall or the pizza parties you have. But it turns out that there's lots more systems in an organization that affect why you come to work every day and that can drive your TOMO. Everything from how your organization is designed to how your compensation and performance management is conducted to how your organization makes decisions. All of the culture is really an ecosystem of all the different processes in your company that affect why you come to work every day. Lindsay, this is a question we get a lot. Can you train for motivation or is it just intrinsic to who you are or who you aren't? We're all wired to believe that motivation is a part is sort of who you are as a person that we're all born in or developed to be intrinsically good or intrinsically bad we're the motivated dedicated type of person or we're not that type of person and we're very much um, underestimate the power of the situation to influence how motivated we are and how we behave for example to underestimate the power of helping somebody really see the purpose and their impact of their work or to underestimate how helping see somebody what they can learn in their career can can really make a difference for them. So we're hardwired, you know, it's the fundamental attribution error. We call it the blame bias for short, that we all we all believe that it's the person's fault and it can't be changed. So that's one huge thing that stands in the way of transforming motivation and culture. And the second is that most people don't know how to do it. There's there, it's very hard to make a case that investing in this is going to lead to results. And that's what motivated a lot of the, all of this research and work was if we could measure it and we could understand its impact on sales, for example, then you can build a business case and you actually can know how much should you invest in this um, and make sure that you're 
and really convince and rally your organization that this is a good thing. Your research makes a specific connection between motivation and business results. Can you speak to that? Yes, it was amazing. When we first started to research and understand Tomo, um, we measured it in about 50 major U.S. organizations. And we picked companies that were famous for their cultures, for example, and compared them to their industry. So, for example, Nordstrom and other retailers, uh, Southwest and other airlines, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and other grocers. And we measured the Tomo of um, all of those organizations and found that the companies that were famous for their culture, even though they all had different personalities, all were had much higher Tomo than their competitors. They were all boosting up play, purpose, and potential and reducing the emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. And of course, business results and motivation can be a virtuous circle or a vicious spiral. If you're performing badly, um, your motivation goes down, which can cause you to perform worse, which makes your motivation go down again. But we found that when you actually change somebody's Tomo, you can actually disrupt that cycle. You can change somebody's Tomo and change their sales, change their customers' experience, customer experience levels, their creativity, their innovation. So it's good news. We're not, we can actually do some things to start to change it. And, you know, when you think about training, training around Tomo, there's lots of different um, things that you can do. The beginning starts with, you know, self-knowledge. What, where do you personally find play, purpose, and potential? And then thinking about how your team routines are inspiring that and how your whole organization is structured to support that. So there's lots you can do both with individuals, but the system as a whole to start to create change. And last, but certainly not least, Lindsay, let's talk about how leaders drive TOMO in their organizations. One of my favorite stories about how leaders influence motivation uh, was an experiment that was actually done in Israel with the Israeli Defense Forces where they conducted an experiment in a training program where they were training people to be commanders. And they gave each trainer a lot of data on everybody that was entering the training program. And each trainee had a command potential score. So let's imagine that if you, Michael, were the trainer, you'd see that you know Jack has a command potential score of 12 and so-and-so has a command potential score of 30. Um, and this score was really a, a culmination of all of the past um, tests that this person had taken and exercises they had run and reviews they had gotten, etc. Then they went through this training program, and at the end of it, an independent council evaluated the trainee's performance on things like an obstacle course, on strategy exams, um, a whole suite of different, uh, different tests. And what was amazing is that the command potential score perfectly predicted how well people were going to do on their final tests. Then they revealed to the, to the trainers that the command potential score had been completely fake, had been completely made up, and that leaders produced the results that they expected. It was when they looked at what the leaders had done differently, they realized things that when a leader expected um, that somebody was just average and that person had a question, they would assume that the person needed to study harder or wasn't paying attention, and that's why they had a question. 
Whereas when somebody they thought was a high performer had a question, they would go out of their way to explain it in a, explain it differently or cover the material in more depth. We've got these deep-rooted assumptions about people's performance that actually mean that we behave like very different leaders to different people that we, we work with. So the first step in anybody thinking about how they become a highly motivating leader is to realize how much your own personal leadership style flexes or changes based on who you're working with. And then the second piece is to think about how you as a leader are going to increase TOMO, so increase play, purpose, and potential, and reduce emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. So for example, I used to be the type of leader who knew enough not to use economic pressure. I didn't use sticks or carrots to get people to do things. And I was nice and friendly, so I would show up Monday morning, ask you how your weekend was, smile, and then essentially say, like, call me if you need help. Like, I'm here in an emergency or in there's trouble. But I didn't go much beyond that. And what I learned through all this research is that that's actually what's called a hands-off leader, where you're not using the bad motives, but you're also not using the good ones. You're not really digging in to help that person find play, which means helping them understand where they're allowed to innovate, where they can adapt, helping them come up with creative new ideas for their work, um, helping them experiment. And I also wasn't helping them really see the purpose of their work. So for example, um, creating experiences for them where they could really see and experience their impact. And when you measure the tomo of people who are led by hands-off leaders, it's actually very mediocre. It's really bad. Enthusiasts are a bit better. So when you're using all six motives, your team's a little bit more motivated but you get a huge leap up when the leader is actively increasing play purpose and potential and actively reducing the emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia. Lindsay McGregor with a snapshot of the TOMO factor based on research detailed in the best-selling book Prime to Perform that she co-authored with Neil Doshi. The book is widely available from booksellers, and you can learn more about it and about Lindsay at her firm's website, vegafactor.com. You've been listening to a podcast from Integrity Solutions. I'm Michael Terrell.